0: Welcome to Legacy Battle. Please catch us on YouTube, Facebook, iHeart, and Spotify. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, please hit us up in the comments section. I am Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. Here with me tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All-Star, Kevin Adams, Ball State athlete, Paul Havocott. Our special guest tonight played 10 years in Major League Baseball. He's with the Royals, the Mariners, Giants, A's, of course, the Rockies. See the picture behind me and what he's wearing. And he finished out his career on, on Kevin's favorite team, the Pittsburgh Pirates. His batting average in 1994, check this out, was an incredible 349. Excellent batting average. His top 10 in five offensive categories that year in the majors. He's also a pretty good outfielder. He led right fielders and fielding percentage in 87. He's now a coach and a trainer. You can check out his website, solid, solidfoundationbaseball.com. So ladies and gentlemen, Mike Kingery.
2: Thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. After the debate, as always, we'll do our Q&A with Mike, asking some questions about his career. We're going to jump into this tonight, and we are going to start out. Oh, well, tonight's show, excuse me, jumping ahead. Tonight's show is who would have won the 1994 World Series. So that was the year that Major League Baseball went on strike, so we never got the World Series. It was a very unique year, too, standing-wise. They also were adding in the wild card, which was uh, pretty exciting for a first time. So we're going to start out tonight with the Cleveland Indians.
1: All right, so the 1994 Cleveland Indians. Uh, this team went 66-47. They had a 35-16 and 16 home record, which was the best in baseball. Um, Cleveland had just opened up Jacob's Field. Uh, Beautiful place. Everybody was pumped up in the city, and and the team seemed to just really just play really great ball whenever they were at home. So Mike Hargrove was a manager, and he had taken over back in 1991, and he was really turning this team around. Uh, 91, their, their winning percentage was 376. 92 and 93, it was up to 469. And then 1994, 584. Um, If you turn it, if you turn ahead and you look at what happened afterwards in 95, they had that great 100 win, 44 loss season and they won the uh, World Series. From 95 to 99, they won five consecutive AL Central crowds. So this team in 1994 was on the cusp of greatness. Look at the pitching staff. They um, they had Dennis Martinez, Charles Nagy. Jack Morris, Mark Clark, these guys all had 10 wins each. Then they had Jose Mesa and Eric Punk. Both these guys had seven wins. They allowed the fewest home runs. They had the most complete games, the second most shutouts, and they had the fifth-best ERA in the, in the AL. Now you look at the batters. At, at catcher, we had Sandy Alomar. At first base, Paul Sorrento. Second base, you had Carlos Baerga. He was 10th in doubles. He was 7th in sack flies. Shortstop, Omar basquel He was 7th in sack hits. Third base, you had the great Jim Tomey. He had 20 home runs. Left field, you had Albert Bell. And Albert Bell was having such a great season, he actually had a shot at the triple crown. He was just 11 RBIs off the lead, four home runs off the lead, and just two percentage points off the lead for um, batting average.
3: And then you had Kenny Lofton.
1: I mean, Kenny Lofton had the speed. Um, he was just—he uh, was, he was a was great leadoff guy. He was sixth in batting average. He was second in hits. He was second in runs, and he was first in stolen bases. And then you had a guy at right field named Manny Ramirez. He definitely developed into something. He was second in the rookie of the year voting that year. And then you had the legend Eddie Murphy at DH. He was a switch hitter. He had power on both sides. A really tough out. Um, and then uh, they also had on the bench, they could go to Candy Maldonado and Tony Pena, a couple of vets that had a lot of great experience. So this, they just had so much fire, firepower. I'm going run to run down through this real quick. Most runs in the majors, most hits in the majors, most doubles in the AL, most homers in the majors, second most stolen bases in the AL second fewest Ks in the majors, so they had a good eye too, good plate discipline. Tied for the best batting average in the majors, the best slugging percentage in the majors, and both Bell and Lofton were in the top five in wins above replacement. Eight batters had double-digit home runs, and then you had Bell at 36 and Tomey at 20. So this team, who knows what would have happened if this season doesn't doesn't, uh, end when it does because in 95, they just started ripping through and and and, uh, and, and winning at an incredible rate. This team was on the cusp of, cusp of greatness. If 94 continues on, I think they go all the way.
0: We should mention that the Indians were in the wild card spot. They, they were not leading their division. I want to say they were game back. It was only a game they back.
1: Were, yeah, they were a game
0: back behind the White Sox, yes. Right, right. So the season ended in August. There was still almost two months of baseball left. So, Mike, you were a good outfielder. This team was a little weak on the sides with Manny and Albert Bell. Uh, obviously, Kenny Lofton could cover his ground in center field and, and infield-wise, that pretty stacked with uh, Vizquel and, and Bayerga. But what are your thoughts on the Cleveland Indians? And, and do you see any weaknesses around that team?
2: Well, I, they could bludgeon you to death with their offense. And I had looked it up also, and they were number one in almost every offensive category. And they had speed, and they just, you know, Omar was one of the best shortstops ever defensively, and Sandy Elmar Jr. was awesome defensively. And so, you know, I don't, I wasn't completely in awe with their pitching staff, but they had some really good names, but several of the guys, Dennis and Jack, were past their prime, obviously. But it would have been hard to, if you get into a short series and they're scoring runs, that would, they'd definitely be formidable, formidable, so.
0: Kevin, you're representing the other American League team tonight, the Yankees. So how are your Yankees going to beat those Indians?
3: Well, They would have had home field advantage if the playoffs started right then and there. And home field advantage is, is big in the playoffs and especially going into New York the house that Ruth built, I mean, it's a di- different atmosphere. And the Yankees were coming off of, um, you know, a time in the city where they were kind of enjoying success, uh, which I'll talk about later with the Rangers winning a cup and the Knicks uh, making it to the finals. So uh, New York was on the up and up. They had a lot of – a big stretch of a lot of losses, uh, bad seasons. But um, they were on fire too, and they led the AL uh, with record. Um, so uh, going into New York, it's a different different atmosphere. I think they would have used that to their advantage.
0: I should tell you how long ago this was. The Knicks were in the playoffs. So
3: <laughs>
0: that, that says something. <laughs> Paul, you're representing a good hitting team tonight. I mean, you think your boys hit better than, than those Cleveland Indians? Because, I mean, yeah, Ramirez was a rookie, but he still could hit the ball back then. Lofton could steal those bases. What are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I think you're right. I think Kevin, Kenny Lofton being a base stealing threat. Manny's always awed me as a hitter. But when I get into my argument, I think consistent wise the expos might have a little bit of an upper hand. I mean, we're dealing with a I think they had off the top of my head five all stars that year representing the team. But it just depends, you know, as I'll talk about with mine, how much value place on pitching and defense.
0: Right. So let's let's move on to the Montreal Expos.
4: Okay, I love researching this team. It's just, you know, it's all but been forgotten. But uh, a brief history is Montreal is the first team outside of the U.S. active from 1969 to 04 before relocating to Washington, D.C., of course, taking on the name of the Nationals. Uh, For anybody that didn't know, they were originally named after 1967 Expo World Fair. That's a little fact I picked up that I didn't know. You know, weird thing about the Expos, it's crazy, but there was another strike in 81, and that was their other great season. I mean, they just thrive in these strike seasons for some reason. In the 81 season, they won their only division title but lost in the NLCS to the Dodgers. But anyway, staying on task, you know, going to the 94 season, I – the more I looked into this, the more I felt bad for these guys. They're led by a pretty good manager back then, Felipe Liu. They were 74-40 and 40, uh, at the time of the strike. And at that time, that was the best uh, record in baseball. I think the next would have been the Yankees, Kevin's team. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. And I, I like the Expos in this. I knew Kevin and I would be going against each other here because I'm kind of working under the premise that they'd be facing the Yankees in the World Series. So, you know, Brian mentioned his records on the road and home. We were looking at a road record of 42 and 20, and we had a home record of 32 and 20. So we were really consistent, I felt like, in 94. And if you were facing the Expos, facing their pitching staff, you'd be looking at 28-year-old Ken Hill, with a 7.62 win-loss percentage, uh, 3.32 ERA, 16-5 and record. A uh, little somebody named Pedro Martinez 22 years old. He's 11-5 at the end of the season with a 3.42 ERA. 31-year-old Jeff Fassero, 8-6 with a 2.99 ERA. 25-year-old Butch Henry with an 8-3 record, 2.43 ERA, and Kirk Ruder. 23 years old with a 7-3 record, 5.17 ERA. So he's probably the weakest link when it comes to the ERA. But I pulled the ra- the average of those five starters, and you'd be looking at a 3.47 ERA. I think that's just slightly better than the Yankees. Um, on offense, they had five all-stars representing their team in Pittsburgh that year. And if you were an opposing team facing the Expos, you're looking at a lockdown Outfield of Marquise Grissom, he's batting 288 with 11 home runs and 45 ribbies. Larry Walker, uh, 322 with 19 home runs and 86 ribbies. Moises Alou, who led, the, led in the home run and average categories with 22 home runs and a 339 average. He had 78 RBIs. There's other starters like Darren Fletcher, Cliff Floyd, Mike Lansing, Will Cordero, Sean Barry. They're all batting 260 and up. So nobody was under 260 in the starting lineup. And uh, another notable was Lenny Webster, Lou Frazier, Juan Bell, and Rondell White. They were all over 270. So like I said earlier, I'm looking at the Yankees as, a, as our, our opponent in the World Series. So we would have been they – were, they were most likely going to win their division. They had a 70-43 and 43 record. Uh, five players in their starting lineups over 300. They had Paul O'Neill, Louis Polonia, Wade Boggs, Don Mattingly, and Mike Stanley. So they they had some players that were sort of twilighting. I think they were a little favored because they had established stars in hitting. But pitching is what I'm going to identify as the strengths for the Expos. Our starting staff had a lower ERA, youth with uh, Pedro. And if you put any weight in those two categories... You know, the Yanks' starting rotation was anchored with a 33-year-old Jimmy Key, 3.27 ERA, and I think they had Jim Abbott, who was over four, and they just weren't as locked down as the Expos. Um, you know, in, in the spirit of full disclosure, the Yankees were working with one main closer in Steve Howe, who was pretty shut down at 3-0, the 1.80 ERA and 15 saves. The Expos, I think, were using two, John Wetland and Mel Rojas. 25 and 16 saves, but a little bit higher ERAs at 2.83 and 3.32, respectively. So I guess the argument, you know, is based on how much weight you put, like I said, in the pitching rotation and the defense. I think anything going to the outfield would have been locked down out there. And I think the pitching was pretty solid that year for the Expos.
0: I put a lot in a pitching, lot pitching, and, and uh, I'll mention that when I get to my team. But, uh, <laughs> Mike, let me, let me ask you, is this the best outfield in baseball?
2: Without question. Without yeah, question. I, I, I played with Larry Walker. He took his defense very seriously. <laughs> he said that Marquise Grissom's nickname was the sheriff because he covered everything out there. And so, and then Moises obviously was really good. And yeah, the pitching staff was, in my opinion, quite superior to the Indians. And John Wetland, I know his numbers might not have been as good as Steve Howe, but if you would have had, and I've faced several guys who are in the Hall of Fame, if I had to face one stopper that I, let me put that again, if I, had, if I didn't want to face any stopper that I ever faced, it would have been Wetland. Wetland embarrassed you. He had such electric stuff. You know, he might have been a little erratic sometimes, but he was the guy that could just, you know, if you faced Maddox or something like that, you never went into the at bat thinking you had no chance, even though he's one of the 10 best pitchers ever, in my opinion. But Wetland, he would embarrass you. And he would, you would go to the dugout going, What just happened to me? He was in
0: with the Yankees for a while, and then, uh, then Rivera came around, and that was kind of the end of that. But uh, Correct.
2: Yeah, but yeah. he was good. Yeah.
0: It, it's funny. We've only talked about two teams, and listening to some of the players' names, how many of those guys ended up on the three richest teams in baseball later on, Boston, New York, yeah. and Chicago?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot. Yeah. yeah, when I came into this and did some research and – You told me the teams, you know, I went into it with a little bias towards the Expos just because I had played against them that year and they they really didn't have a lot of weaknesses. They were pretty complete in my opinion. But when I started looking at some other places and seeing the Indians and I didn't realize the Yankees, their batting averages, I know that's not as uh, emphasized as it used to be, but there were some guys who could swing the pole of those guys. So, yeah. And then obviously the Braves, crazy. It wasn't like Spurs, they
4: came. So. It wasn't like they came out of nowhere either. I think they had a really good '93 season at '94 and '68, so they were kind of building on that. But um, yeah. it just depends, you know. Like you said, anything I guess could have happened there. Yeah. Brian, let me ask you from
0: from 1969 to 2004. That's the Expos' existence before they moved to Washington, of course. Mm-hmm. They only made the playoffs once would they might've buckled to the pressure of being in the, the MLB postseason?
1: I mean, that's tough to say. I, I, I think that with that pitching staff, they would have, they would have went far. They would have, you know, they would have relied on them. They would, you know, that pitching staff would have carried them, I believe. And, um, I mean, it's a, it's a shame that this, the, 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 the way that things unfolded for them in 1994 because, really, if you look at the rest of their history, they never really had another team that was anywhere near as good as this. And, and you know, in that, in that franchise is now no longer. Well, Kevin, you pulled
0: out the home field card earlier. If you're facing Montreal in the finals, you don't have home field. So how are your Yanks beating them?
3: Uh, well, I'd have to switch over to veteran leadership. Montreal was a young team. And New York definitely had uh, the veterans on their team. And, um, you know, this would have been Madeline's uh, first appearance in the playoffs. And he was hungry. And so was Show uh, Showalter. Um, I just think they had more veteran leadership that would have carried him through.
0: Okay. Well, let's move on to we're talking pitching. Let's stick with pitching. Let's go to the Atlanta Braves. And you, you don't talk Atlanta Braves without talking these starters. Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz heck our last show was an Atlanta Braves top 5 with Otis Nixon so you <laughs> know how many pitchers are on that list but let me let me just throw this out here i only have to prove that they can beat these teams we're talking about today so let's start with beating montreal you got to get to the world series you going to have to go through montreal so the wild card team which was the atlanta braves would have played montreal in the first round so we're talking in 91, 92, 96, 99, Braves go to the World Series. 95, they go to the World Series, which is the year after the lockout, and they win the World Series, beating Brian's Cleveland Indians, I'll point out. So the 90s were dominated by the Braves, so there's a pretty good shot. They're making it to the World Series. They had the third-best record in baseball. They, obviously, they were in the wild-card spot because they were in Montreal's division. Um, you know, then that was better than everyone except for the Yanks and the Expos. Um, they had outscored Montreal that year playing against Montreal 33 to 31. So they do have a slight run advantage. Um, and as I said, you know, you're talking a five game series for, for a playoff round, which means you're probably getting Greg Maddox twice in a year where he's ERA was 1.56. I just don't see you beating Greg Maddox, uh, that, that year, um, you know, two, two times, uh, or I'm sorry, in that year, you know, he was the all-star, he was a Cy Young, he uh, was a gold glove, you know, so just the best pitcher in baseball. And then you're backing that up with Glavin, Smoltz, Avery, had a pretty decent year. They had a solid bullpen. Mark Wohlers was always pretty good. Um, Stanton, the other Mike, Mike Stanton was a good, middleman, and then Greg McMichaels is a closer. He's not the best closer in the world, but he can get the job done. Um, But we're talking about pitching. So the Braves are first in runs against in for nine innings, second in ERA, second in complete games. Montreal was 27th in that. First in hits allowed, first in earned runs, first in homers allowed, fifth in hits batsmen. Montreal was 24th. First in whip, Montreal was 17th. Pitching-wise, the... There's no team in the 90s that can compete with the Atlanta Braves pitching. And then on the field, you know, they can hit the ball, too. You got McGriff hitting 318, 34 homers. He's an all-star. David Justice was an all-star, hit 313. Lemke nearly hit 300. We all know what that guy does in the playoffs. That's the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, (laughs) Ryan Flesco was a rookie, you know, 17 homers. Javi Lopez was in there in his rookie year. They were both in top 10 for rookie of the year. Voting, And then, of course, they had prime time, Deion Sanders, one of Kevin's favorite players, Neon Dion, you know, hit 288 that year, swiping some bags. Um, you know, batting, they were third best in the league with uh, runners left on base. Uh, Montreal was 24th. So Montreal left 100 more batters on base. Um, and the Braves struck out less, you know. So they, they, they were scoring more runs, in my opinion. And they were sixth in homers, which was better than most teams. So that was pretty good. I mean, it's just, you look at the 90s, it's dominated by the Braves. They didn't win a lot of the World Series, but they were in the playoffs pretty much every year, and they were making it to the World Series almost every year. So I'm getting them by Montreal. I know they can beat Cleveland because they did it the following year in 95. And as for Kevin's Yankees, the Yankees, I felt like they were having a lucky year. I don't know if everyone else was down. I, I looked at their roster, I was not very impressed. You know, It's not like Jeter was there yet. You know, which you got Jeter, you're going to win. But sure. so, so Mike, what, what are your thoughts on that Braves pitching staff? I mean, obviously dominated in the 90s. I mean, is it one of the best maybe of all time?
2: Without question. Yeah, I when I talk to people, I say for a 10-, 15-year period, you could have taken the Braves and played them head-to-head head with the second-best team, 162 games, and the Braves would have beat everyone just because they had Hall of Famers coming every and you take someone like Steve Avery I'm a from Minnesota here and you put Steve Avery in the Twins and he's our ace most of the years and he's their number 4 guy and Merker was no slouch either right. so just time after time but you know when they they didn't typically do as great in the playoffs a lot of it was if you had a couple decent starters that you could potentially match up with them in a short series, but in a long series, it's hard to beat the Braves. Their they're, uh, bullpen wasn't as strong, but it wasn't bad. I mean, McMichael wasn't a guy who would overwhelm you, but he was a very smart pitcher.
0: Right. Brian, we, we've talked Braves a, a lot on this show. We've had Sid Bream. We've had Otis Nixon. I mean, we know how good they can pitch. That that always comes up. But w- what about the hitting? What do you think? You know, McGriff and Justice and Klesko. Can they hang in there runs wise with the other teams we're talking about today?
1: I think so. I mean, they were you know opportunistic hitters. Um, and then you mentioned Lemke. You know what he was able to do when uh, you know it seemed like he would he'd just be an average player, and then something when the postseason lights came on, you know, he would just <laughs> he would turn into something else. And so, yeah, I mean, they, they just had – they were clutch. They were guys that, that, you know, could definitely get the job done. And then you, you sort of have that confidence building when you know that you've got Greg Maddox you've got Smols or somebody just shutting the other team down. You know, that's got to help you a little bit, you know, your your psyche as a batter as well. Paul,
0: you, you had the division leader. You know, what, what, what makes you think they're going to take out the, the, the Braves? the the perennial representative now, in the World Series.
4: I'm not saying I'm not nervous, and I did think about it. I knew we had done a lot of shows where we talked about Maddox and and uh, Glavin, but Mike kind of said it. You know, I'm look. I was looking at the bigger picture. Okay, so they, had, I think their postseasons, they had 14 and won the World Series once. I thought that when you have a series and the Braves, I didn't think, were used to people, like, clapping back. They they did sort of dominate there for a while in baseball, but I thought the Expos that year could have stung them a little bit. And so, Wetland against maybe, uh, what, Maddox, and maybe the Expos steal one right off the bat, and then anything, I think, could happen. And you have a outfield where, like I said, not anything's really getting down, and our pitching is, you know, maybe neck and neck. But uh, – I thought about you guys. I didn't respect you.
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I'm, right. I'm going to remember that in a future show. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our, our final team, the, the New York Yankees.
3: Yeah, New York Yankees. I'm not even really a big fan of the Yankees because, uh, you know, I right. feel they always buy their teams, but – You know, you can't argue their talent every year. Um, You know, prior to 94, between 81 and 94, they had a pretty bad drought. Uh, But 94 season was their 92nd season. Um, You know, the team had a record of 70 and 43. That was about a 62% win percentage. Um, They were six and a half games ahead of Baltimore, um, who was the next in their division. Um, They had the best record in the American League, second best in the majors, you know, behind Montreal. Um, the Yankees were on pace to win 100 games um, for the first time in that, uh, since 1980. Uh, they were being led by Jimmy Key. Paul already threw out all my team's stats uh, earlier, which I don't know if he was trying to help me. Um, but Jimmy Key led the majors, uh, 17 wins that year. He was on pace to win 24 games. Um, you know, they had uh, two other pitchers at nine wins. Uh, right fielder Paul O'Neill was having a career year led the league with a 359 batting average. Um, and this would have uh, been the Yankees' first postseason since 81. Uh, this, this was the season that was going to end the drought. They definitely were going to make it. Um, this was the year, you know, I had mentioned the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. Um, the New York Knicks, they actually lost in Game 7 in the finals but won the Eastern Conference. So they were enjoying some success in that city. People were getting amped up again about the Yankees. Um, They were excited about it. Uh, They took it hard, though, uh, when the strike happened, and even the media bombarded the team uh, with what could have been. But the team scored 670 runs, uh, which I believe was second in the the league that year. Uh, They averaged almost six runs a game. They only allowed uh, 534 runs, which was about 4.7 runs per game. Uh, They were one of the favorites to make the World Series. Don Mattingly had never made the postseason, as I mentioned earlier. A lot of people felt bad and feel like he deserved that year. Um, and I think the team would have rallied behind that. Uh, the Yankees were walked the most that season. They actually had 530 walks. Their on-base percentage was 374. Um, so you had O'Neill, Bernie Williams, Polo- uh, Polonia out in the outfield. Boggs, a veteran, batting 342. A lot of people actually thought that Boggs may have taken the, the batting title uh, from O'Neill if the season actually finished. Uh, and you had him with Mattingly in the infield. Uh, Mike Stanley behind the plate. He was batting 300. Um, I had mentioned Jimmy Key's 17 and four. His ERA um, was 3.27. Closer Steve Howe, 1.8 ERA with 15 saves. Five batters were batting 300 or better. Uh, they were more likely, uh, more than likely, I agree with Paul. I think they were going to face the Expos. And it kind of stinks because during the regular season, they never played Montreal. They also didn't play Atlanta. But <laughs> I'm not worried about Brian's team, uh, the Cleveland Indians, because the New York beat them nine 9 to 0. They, they won nine games and lost even not once during the regular season. So this was the year that everything meshed for the Yankees. Uh, after having that drought of not making the playoffs, Showalter and Mattingly wanted it. The team was rallying behind them. They had the veteran leadership. The city of New York was riding the wave of success that year. Um, the young players were blooming. Bernie Williams uh, coming up. Uh, the veterans were revitalized by everything. Uh, the history was, was fading, and the future was definitely looking bright for this team at that moment. Um, you know, it was the best Yankees team since 1981 when they made the World Series. And Mattingly actually said that uh, this was one of his favorite teams and one of the most fun teams that he's ever played on. Uh, the team was tight-knit, great chemistry, and they believed that they were going to win and had the confidence to do it.
0: So, Mike, this, this was a Yankees team that you take away Jimmy Key. There's not much in the rotation. The bullpen was solid. I'll give them that. But then it wasn't the normal, you know, Yankees bot lineup either. I mean, Boggs right. was an all-star, but Magdalene was getting up there in age. Williams was very young. Uh, it might have been maybe his second or third season. He wasn't the caliber player yet that he would become like two years later. Um, so, you know, what is it about this team that, that you think was made them so good that year and
2: would they have maybe their weaknesses been found out come playoff time? It's hard to win without having crazy elite pitching. That would have been a deal. But I'm looking at their ages here, and they're a little bit old, but they're actually kind of when people look at people's prime, they tend to look from 28 to 32. So they're a whole bunch of guys are in that mold. So, you know, Mattingly was only 33 Boggs was the older one at 36, but obviously he was a little ageless at the time. But all the other guys, Tartable and O'Neal and Polonia, uh, Stanley, they were all in that 30, 31 age. So I think it was a pretty good mix of older and younger, actually. It doesn't look like they did very good with the stolen base. They seemed to uh, not run very much and got thrown out a lot. Right. <laughs> Brian, you, you got the
0: Indians. You'd you'd be going in there as the wild card team into Yankee Stadium, the house that Ruth built. How are you getting by them?
1: Well, I mean, it would it would have been tough. Like uh, Kevin mentioned, you know, the the Indians did not have a very good record against uh, the Yankees. Um, the following season, they got a little bit better. So uh, that was still that was one that Hargrove still hadn't really figured out yet. But um, I, I'm confident. You know, I think. That he, you know, that they would have, they would have got things figured out eventually. Just hopefully, it would have been too late.
0: I think it would have been a great series. Uh, you know, I think maybe the White Sox stick their face in there somewhere as well. Um, they were a very solid team, but I just don't think this rotation. I mean, I'm looking at yeah, Jimmy Key, seventeen and four. That's pretty impressive. But I mean, Abbott was only a game over five hundred. Mulholland was under five hundred. Uh, you know, Perez. Kameneki, I mean, those guys, they, they weren't that great. The ERAs aren't that great, you know, so it kind of is what it is. You know, like I said, the bullpen was pretty good. I'll give them credit with that. I, I was impressed with the bullpen. But, you know, they, they didn't have Rivera there at the end of the night either. So right. it could go either way. Paul, you know, you're the only team that would have had a home field advantage against the Yankees if, if they got through. So what are your thoughts?
4: Well, there's a lot of thoughts. I'll narrow them down to two. Kevin says they hadn't faced us all year. That's tough. I mean, they're going to be looking at film, trying to base it on that. It's almost an even playing field. But the other element is, you know, what's it like to play in Canada and then also have to deal with the DH and all that stuff? You know, so you're doing, you're having, like Jimmy Key and the pitching, are they, is that going to, how deep was the Yankees to where they could compensate for that, you know, DHing and all that? So I think, I think once again, the pitching would be our upper hand. And I think Kevin also mentioned something about veteran leadership, but veteran leadership with Mattingly, yeah, and he was great, but that was his first year in the postseason. Would that have got to him? Would that have aided him up that he's like, this could be my last chance? I mean, I could do crazy things to people. Right. Well, we're going to throw
0: some shout-outs to the teams that would have made the playoffs or were at least in contention. We're not talking about them tonight, but we want to give them a shout-out. to be the Reds, the Astros, the White Sox, Dodgers, Rangers, and A's. So they were all either leading a division or in playoff contention. Um, looking at some of those divisions, uh, some of those teams were, like, right around 500 that were leading divisions. So it wasn't the, the runaway year for a lot of those divisions, but – Here's tonight's trivia question. For a prize, put your answers in the comments section. We'll get a prize mailed out to you. Prize winners, you're ineligible. In the 1994 movie, The Scout, name the two former Mets and two former Cardinals that make a cameo in the movie. So get that right, we'll get your prize mailed out. All right, let's move into our vote tonight before we hit our Q&A with Mike.
1: Let's start with uh, Brian. Okay, well, I mean, all these teams were great. It's just, this is tough. And it's really tough when you're thinking of a well, what-if because it's, there's so many different possibilities. But, you know, when you just look at the, the basics of baseball, if you've got a pitching staff that can give you three or four, you know, guys that can give you great starts very consistently, it's, it's so tough to beat them. So I got to go with Atlanta on this one. I just think they would just throw – you know, they throw Maddox, they throw Glavin, they throw small at you, and, and they're going to get two out of three right there. Um, you know, in a long series, it's so tough to beat those guys.
0: Okay. Kevin?
3: Um, I do like the, the pitching staff in Atlanta. Um, but I think, you know, Montreal, like, they were on fire. They led the league. I don't think uh, – I think they had the young guns to – at least keep that momentum going into the playoffs. I still think they lose to the Yankees, but um, (laughs) I'm going to have to go with Montreal.
0: Okay. So I'll go next. I'm also, even though I I, I think the Braves beat the Expos, I really do. Um, In a five-game series, I think they take them, and I think they beat whoever, whatever 500 club comes out on the other side. Um, But I think of the teams we're talking about, Other than Atlanta, I would go with Montreal as well. They could hit, they could field, they could pitch. They've got every aspect covered. They're playing in Canada. It's an advantage, a little advantage at least. And that Montreal crowd being in the playoffs, I think would just be kind of like we saw with Toronto a few years back, Uh, just an insane atmosphere. So I'm giving Montreal a vote.
4: Paul? It's so weird because I totally think the Expos would have beat the Braves, but I mean, you know, if I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't vote. Since I can't vote Expos, I'd vote Braves for the exact same reason I'm arguing my team, and that's, that's pitching stuff.
0: Okay. So we got two for Atlanta, two for Montreal. Mike, will you break the tie, or are you going with somebody else?
2: No, I'll break the tie. I'll go with Montreal. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I just – I don't know. Having faced both teams and, you know – the Expos had not really been there, but it wasn't like they were young guys. Their whole outfield, every one of them was 27. So it's not like they were 21 or 22. And all of them had that confidence, that air about them. And I just, you know, there's some places in the lineup that I wasn't crazy impressed with the Expos. But I, I just, I think with Facero and with Hill and with Pedro, and with Wetland and uh, Mel Rojas in the bullpen, I think they would have done fine.
0: And it's a shame what happened to that team
2: afterwards. They just dismantled,
0: mm-hmm. yep. dismantled.
2: Yeah, yep. I would agree.
0: All right, so Paul gets his first solo win today. Congratulations.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Mike King, is probably the smartest guest we've ever had. <laughs> My <gosh. laughs>
3: He'll be expecting the check in the mail tomorrow, Paul. <laughs> All right, let's move
0: into our Q&A. Um, Paul, you're the winner. You can ask first question.
4: Well, I was thinking about, as I looked at Mike's career, playing for six teams, and I kind of got the feeling of, what I don't know him, obviously, but what I read, a big family guy, ended up going back to Minnesota. So it's not playing for Minnesota, a regret you have in your career or does it, did it not matter?
2: I would have loved to played for the Twins just because it was my hometown team. Rod Crew was my hero growing up. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was Tony Oliva and Harmon Killebrew and several really, really, really good uh, hitters and, inter- you know, Jim Cott and Jim Perry and Burt Blylevin and stuff from the pitching staff. So that, that was it. But, you know, it wasn't a big deal to me. There's good things about playing at home. There's obviously added things about being at home also, as far as getting tickets every night for people and things of that sort. so. No, I'm very content with, you know, to be honest with you, of all the teams that I didn't get to play for, I would have loved to have played for the Cardinals. They just, when you went to St. Louis, the people had crazy good baseball IQ and they respected people on either side. They wanted to see good baseball. And I never got to wear red cleats, so that was.
0: <laughs> you, you did play for a lot of blue teams now that I was. Looking this. Yes.
3: yes. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, so um, you played uh, with the Seattle Mariners. They were still kind of fresh in the league there. Um, I think uh, in 89, uh, Griffey's. Rookie season was like the 13th season since creation. So what was it kind of like playing for a new franchise and seeing someone like Ken Griffey playing with them in his rookie year? What was that kind of like? I got there
2: in 87, and we won 78 games, and it was the most that had ever been won by the Mariners at that point. So we we were still below 500. But if you talk about the Expos lineup and then several years later being dismantled, if they would have kept the Mariners lineup together for another three years, it would have it was a very young team. It was a very good team. And you know, we had Billy Swift and we had Mark Langston and we had Mike Morgan and we had a pretty good lineup. And then you know, Edgar Martinez couldn't even make the lineup when I first got there. And because they looked at Jim Presley as on top of him. And Alvin Davis was a really good first baseman DH as far as hitter-wise. And so it would have been a really good team. And it was, I was pretty young also. So it was, we were your typical young team. We would play really good and play really rotten, play really good, play really rotten. And then in 89, I actually spent most of the year in the minor leagues because Griffey took my spot. So I was the opening day center fielder in 88, and he was in 89. And so I spent most of it. He actually broke his finger or something that year. So I got called up for three weeks during the season to take his place. But it was, you know, a very good team. And then Randy Johnson obviously got there in the Langston trade. And, but I enjoyed being in Seattle, a lot of good friends there. Harold Reynolds, I'm really good friends with Harold, so.
1: Brian, go ahead. Okay, Well, as I look down through uh, how your career unfolded, it looked like 92, most of your season was in the minors, 93 was in the minors. And then 94, something changed because you had, You know, it looks like the best season of your career. I mean, the same batting average as Kenny Lofton, um, fifth highest total of sack flies. So can you tell us, like, how how things got turned around in 1994?
2: Well, I was getting a little long in the tooth, as they would call it, and my wife and I were contemplating just getting out of baseball, and we prayed about it a lot. We decided we'd go to one more spring training, And if we made the team great, if we didn't, we would go another angle. And But, yes, as you said, 92 was almost strictly in the minor leagues and 93 the whole year in the minor leagues and not necessarily being awesome in either of those years. And then I went to spring training. I actually did not do very well, but – In 93, the Rockies had a tough time catching the ball in the outfield. And that's something that I could do. And Don Baylor really liked me. And so I made their team out of spring training just to be the fourth outfielder. And then Ellis Burks, he was the April National League Player of the Month. And Ellis hurt his wrist and he was going to be out for about three weeks. And he ended up being out for more than a year, actually. And I took over and I don't know. I I think I didn't put any excess pressure on myself. I went out there and played free, which I know sounds like, well, you should be able to do that all the time, but it's easier said than done. And I guess there was no expectations. Most people when they write an article about me say that it was because I played in Colorado and actually both years that I played in Colorado, I hit better on the road than I did at home. So I actually I actually hit over 370 in 94 on the road. Wow. So I think it was second in the league. My guess is behind Gwyn cuz he had 394 that year. And so, you know, most journalists don't do a very hard job of of looking at it. So that's what people typically do is they say that it was just cuz was in Colorado, but I just actually in Colorado my line drives went too far. Because I wasn't – you can tell I wasn't a big home run dude. So a lot of times my line drives would go to the right fielder instead of in front of him or whatever. And I was more of a gap-to-gap type guy. And typically didn't strike out tons. And so I don't know. I really liked Don Baylor. I, I respected him a lot. And he was a man's man. And he just – if our team stunk, he would get us together and look us in the eye and tell us we stunk. And I respected that. And uh, so I really liked the team was kind of a bunch of misfits for the most part. Uh, Dante Bichette was not – he was kind of there hanging for dead. Andres Galarraga had a resurgence. Uh, Vinny Castilla wasn't protected by the Braves. And we just – it was just a good team. The team got along well with each other. And we had ten days in Mile High Stadium that year where we had more than seventy thousand people at a game.
1: Wow.
2: We had a we had a Tuesday night against the Cubs that we had over seventy thousand. Minnesota here you get ten thousand on a Tuesday night. The poll ads were high five each other and it was <laughs> it was just a It was a football atmosphere. It was just fun to come to the game, even though it was a rotten stadium as far as for baseball. It was a joke. It was very legit for a left-handed hitter. You didn't see guys hitting home runs to right field. It was 370 to right, and it was probably a 15-foot wall, and it was 405 to right center. So you didn't see balls going to the right field bleachers. It was where it was 330 and 365 in the left center field gap. That's where all the home runs went.
0: We're all in Tampa. We, will, we know what no fans is like, so
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> we're used to that. I'll tell you what, though, 349, gosh, you'd lead the majors by 100 points nowadays if you're hitting
2: 349. Yeah, <laughs> so, some of us old guys don't like the game as much because – and that's, you know, the Minnesota Twins, you might know this better than I. They've lost 17, 18 playoff games in a row or some crazy number. But they just, they're hit or miss, and you just can't do that in the playoffs because you're not facing the four and five starters. You know, you're facing the Maddoxes, you're facing the Glavins, you're facing the Smolts and the Pedros and these type of people. So you need people who can put the ball in play and to be able to hit to the other side of the shift and to be able to just do little things that we used to do. And we used to score lots of runs also, so... It's, I don't think it has to be an either or when I, I actually have a baseball school. And if uh, Joe DiMaggio had not played his last season, he would have ended his career with more home runs and strikeouts. Wow. He had That's one year, he had he had 30 home runs and 13 strikeouts.
0: That's why I have his bobblehead out there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so And Yogi Berra was almost a one-to-one also. So, I mean, it wasn't – and these, these guys had home runs. They weren't just punching Judys. Uh, they were guys who were 300 home runs, whatever. And so now it's this all or nothing and, and just people can't make adjustments. You know, how many people would Nolan Ryan have struck out today? A lot more. <laughs> a,
0: another 5,000 probably.
2: That's <laughs> yeah.
0: – yeah. So your rookie year is in 1986 with Kansas City Royals. Yep. Um. In 85, the Royals win the World Series. And we go a year later, they only win 76 games. Yep. You, like, what what kind of happened there? What, what are your thoughts? Like, why such the big drop? The roster was relatively the same.
2: Uh, I got called up on July 7th. And they were in the middle of a nine-game losing streak when I got called up. <laughs> and so it was already... George was hurt quite a bit. When I got called up, I remember very vividly the first day because I'm the scared to death rookie and I come into the clubhouse and I'm good friends with Jamie Cork and he kind of takes me under his wing and I go, am I supposed to go talk to Dick Hauser? And he said, no, he'll come and get you when he wants you. So then I get the message that it's time to go talk to him. And I go into his office and he said, well, George is hurt and I have no one else who can hit third. So you're hitting third in the lineup. And I go, Okay. And Mike mm-hmm. Bonicker pitched, and he wasn't an overpowering guy, very crafty, very good curveball. And I got two hits that day, and and just I think George was hurt a lot. They crazy dependent upon him. And Brett Saberhagen, he was at that point the every other year type guy because he won the Cy Young, I think, in 83 and 85 or 85 yeah. and 87. I think it was 83 and 85. No, 85 and 87 it must have been. And because I played with them in 83, I think, in Fort Myers for a little bit. So, yeah, it must have been 85 and 87. Uh, So I think there were some injuries, but I I don't know. It's just, you know, in 85, were they the best team in baseball? You know, you look at the lineup, it wasn't an intimidating lineup.
0: Got hot at the right time. That's all it takes.
2: That baseball's a weird sport. Baseball is a weird sport. You can have, you just get, as you say, get hot at the right time and get some clutch hits. And if your pitchers keep you in the game and one bad hop can win a game. right. We'll go one more each. Paul, go ahead.
4: Well, Mike Adams tells me we're talking to Mike Kingery, so I find myself rocking out in the car to the Kingery family uh, (laughs) band. (laughs) And I'm listening. I don't know that I see Mike Kingery in there, but maybe he is. But can you, what can you tell me about the, the, family, the Kingery family band? How'd that start up?
2: Well, not on purpose. My mother did piano lessons with all eight of our children. And she started taking the kids to the nursing homes. And people heard them sing. And then all of a sudden, they just started adding instruments. We typically do gospel bluegrass. Blue so we got the banjo and the mandolin and the upright bass and several guitars and the fiddles and things of that sort. I typically run the sound and I typically talk in between songs because nobody on my family wants to talk but me. <laughs> so I have no problem talking. I don't really want to sing in front of anybody. So it works out good. And we sing about 40 to 50 times a year. But obviously last year it was kind of shut down because of the COVID stuff. But it's, it's just something that was just a family thing that we could do to, you know, encourage people and minister to people. And we just, it's just something that has really kept us close together as a family. And my girl, I've had, I think, three or four different sets of trios that have sang the anthem either at the Twins game or at the Rockies games.
4: I like it. Oh, sorry. I recommend it. I recommend it. They're very harmonious. There's a lot of people in there, and they're all singing in tune. It's nothing I can do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll have to check that out. I love gospel music. Yeah, so. you'll like yeah. it. Kevin, go I'm, ahead.
3: So uh, I see that you're, the fir- you're, you're part of the first uh, for two things for the Colorado Rockies. Uh, first, to hit back-to-back home runs uh, at Chorus Field, and, and you're on the first playoff appearance team. So how, how does that – how did how'd that go with your first playoff appearance and getting that the back-to-back? Because I know when I watch back-to-back home runs, the crowd goes crazy. It's, it's amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, and especially to think it was Mike Kingery and Roberto Mejia. <laughs> you could have you guessed many combinations and you would have ever come up with that one. And uh, the being in the playoffs was awesome. I – 17 years professionally, one time in the playoffs. And it's just surreal – You know, we played the Braves that year, and by far, we were their hardest games. Even though they played the Indians in a World Series, we were beating them both times. And Chipper Jones got a home run in both games. He was a rookie in the eighth or the ninth inning to beat us by one, I believe it was. We had, I didn't start the first two games. Ellis was healthy then. And I didn't tend to help my team as much when we played at Coors Field, to be honest with you just because it tended to be more pinball machine numbers. And, but I was very much more instrumental when we played on the road. And because I was more of a defense and and speed type of guy, even though I didn't steal tons of bases. But, and so we gave the Braves everything they wanted. So we, we lost to Maddox and Glavin, and then we beat Smoltz in game three. I knew it was the playoffs when Eric Young got on base and I was the number two hitter in Atlanta and they had me sacrifice bunt in the first inning off of Smoltz. So I bunted it down the first baseline and he tried to tag me and I slid even though I was like 30 feet away from first base. He fell over me and EY made it all the way to third on the bunt. (laughs) And so – You know, but our pitchers, we had Saberhagen at that time, and we had Swift, and both of them were scheduled to have surgery after the season. And, you know, for Swift, it actually didn't hurt him because he was more of a sinker-slider guy. So taking a little bit off his fastball actually probably made his ball move a little bit more. But Saberhagen being a more of a straight power guy, it definitely affected him. So it, it was exciting. We got beat up by Maddox the third game. And so we we went three to one, but we could have definitely won the first two games at home. In fact, the second game, this would be the only time I really disagreed with what the manager did. And uh, Vinny Castilla got pinch ran for in like the sixth inning, and then it came up to the ninth, and we're losing by one. I lead was I lead off of the second hitter. I got a base hit off of Woolers. And then, to make a long story short, I ended up being at third. We had bases loaded and one out. And we had Andres Galarraga hitting. And the third base coach said, Mike, look who's on deck. You know, it was going to be a pitcher hitting for a pitcher Mm -hmm. off of Woolers throwing 103 miles an hour or whatever. And so he said it doesn't have to be a very long fly ball for you to tag up. And so – Galaraga struck out, and then Lance Painter came up to hit, and he struck out. But that would have been where Vinny would have came up to hit. And if you know much about Vinny Castilla, if I had to pick one person to come up and hit off of someone throwing 100-plus, I would pick Vinny. Vinny could hit a fastball.
0: Oh, yeah, we yeah, had that have... here in Tampa. He could hit. I, I
2: I would have loved the Vinny-Wohler matchup with bases loaded and us losing by one. So... I think he made a mistake by – this not like Vinny was crazy slow. He wasn't a speedster, but not any reason to really pinch run for him in the sixth inning, and I was the last position player used that game. Wow. Brian, go ahead. So
1: you retired after the 1996 season. Um, how did you know that the timing was right? Like what what told you it was time to move on to other things?
2: You know, I had 16 one-year contracts and I finally signed a two-year contract with the Pirates and they were going to pay me to stay at home. That's how much they liked me. So uh, we just basically, if someone was going to pick up our contract, we would have kept playing, but nobody did. And so we just decided it was time to stay. My wife and I on the way home from Pittsburgh, because... We actually home-educated our children also, and most players do not do that. Most players, the dad leaves in February and comes home in October. And many of your uh, baseball players' marriages aren't the best just because there's so much time away from your family. So we kept the family together, and on the way home, counting spring training, then going to your – place and then come back home or maybe getting traded or getting sent down or whatever. My wife and I came up with 54 moves in 15 years. Wow. Wow. And so it was just, it was time. I was content. I had done my best. I wasn't good enough to play division one baseball. (laughs) I had zero D one schools interested in me. I only had one D two school interested in me and I signed right out of high school. I'm from a town. I think we had the biggest graduating class ever was 60 kids. And so me doing good, uh, people just looked at, you were playing against lame competition is what the scouts would look at. But a scout seemed, me, I could run and I could throw. And, you know, I hit in high school, but I wasn't a very good hitter. So I went to first spring training and found out I really wasn't very good. And it took me a lot of going through lots of struggles to learn how to hit off of, you know, I typically probably faced, if a guy threw hard in high school, he might've hit 80 miles an hour and you go down there. And as much as I say, everybody throws hard now, there's been hard throwers forever. And so being able to kind of make the adjustment to the velocity was, was not easy at the beginning.
0: So we'll get you out of here with this one. Um, I got to ask, how good of a bowler are you? Because I, I understand that your your dad owned a bowling or ran yep. a bowling alley. And then um, I had read that, I guess, it was your brother that found, like, helped you progress your, your baseball talents. So maybe just uh, give us a history of how that all that like, came about.
2: Yeah, I'm the youngest of five boys, and I was – they were all two years apart, and I'm five years younger than the fourth. And so – my brothers weren't competitors to me; they were almost more my protectors, and so very grateful to all of my brothers. Uh, the family moved to our little town when I was about five months old to purchase the bowling alley. My dad had always wanted to own a bowling alley, so it was a little six-lane bowling alley in the town of a thousand people. And my oldest brother, by far, if he would have had my drive, he would have—you would have heard about him on the bowling circuit because. He won the state of Minnesota twice, so he bowled in the U.S. Open twice. The one time he was paired up with Dick Weber. That's kind of like being paired up Dick, with Tiger yeah. Woods to golf. Dick Peter
0: Weber, absolutely, yeah.
2: And so uh, he was just very skilled. He just – it was fun for him. I was more the competitive guy that hated to lose. It, I enjoyed it also, but uh, – so – I looked up a lot to all my brothers, but especially to my oldest brother, Doug, and he used to come and help Uh, since he owned the bowling alley after mom and dad sold it. He would have time to come throw me batting practice during the days and stuff like that, because usually the bowling alley wouldn't open up till about four o'clock in the afternoon or something. So uh, I'm the worst of the brothers. I, I was like 180 average, but I was the worst. My brother, Doug, he bowled his first 300 when he was 13 years old, and we didn't buy the bowling alley till he was 11. So he was just very – everything he did, he played three sports in college. And the Atwater Ford uh, owner came up to me one time, and he said, the best athlete ever from Atwater was a kingery, but his first name was not Mike. And so I, I he was my hero growing up, my brother Doug, so I have no problem being second fiddle to him, so – he, he passed away like 14 years ago now. So I miss him greatly, but uh, very, very grateful for all of my brother's influence in my life. And I, I was just, so when I coach, I, I don't, I'm not a rules guy. I'm like going, just give me your best. If you work hard, hit the ball as hard, run as hard as you can after you hit the ball, know where to throw the ball before the ball is hit to you, back up your teammates, be a good teammate and we'll get along cool. And so I I was a throwback. I just, I worked hard and I kept my mouth shut. I respected the people. I never got pranked by the older guys because I always gave them their due because I just thought me coming up as a rookie, there was a pecking order and I was perfectly content with it because I believe that they should show me how to play the game, not me show them how to play the game. And I learned a lot by just watching people like George Brett play and, And he just played hard all the time. You know, Kirby Puckett, I loved playing against him. He ran out every ball that he hit to the infield. And so I liked people who were the grunt guys who would play hurt and wouldn't complain. And and you got so many things that you just can't see in a statistical thing. And when I was with the Rockies and we made the playoffs, we were very strong up the middle. And then us three guys were the first guys that the Rockies got rid of. And it was myself and Girardi and Walt Weiss. And we were the guys who I called Walt Weiss pig pen because he was always dirty. And it's just, you got to have some grunt guys on your team. You just can't fill your team with just a bunch of all-stars and expect to win all the time. You have to have the guys who are willing to Run into the walls, and I'm not saying that all the superstars are not willing to do that. But you just have to have people who are willing to do stuff that a lot of people aren't willing to do.
0: Well said, agreed. Especially see that in a lot of other sports too. Hockey, you got to have that grind line. You know, yep. Football, yep. football, you got to have the the lineman protecting the star quarterback. So yep. Yep. we want to thank Mike Kingery for joining us tonight. We're honored to have you on. We appreciate that. Make sure you check out his website solidfoundationbaseball.com Thank you. Thank you to everyone for watching on, on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, iHeartRadio or a little bit of everywhere now. Everyone have a good night.